97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we've got Paul Hersko and Willie Goldberg with Sunny Capital Group, and they flew in from Miami, Florida to talk about how they do 1,500 deals a year, an astronomical number. I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires, and the information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you'll become one. And we do know that you want to be a successful real estate investor. In order to do that, you, need, you do need to be able to consistently buy houses at deep margins. Problem you may be facing is you may not be contracting enough houses or not buying them deep enough, causing you to feel frustrated or anxious. So we understand how deflating it is when you walk out of the house without a signed contract. We've helped hundreds of people buy thousands of houses at deep margins. DM me the word sales on Instagram to find out how, so you never have to worry about revenue again. And this show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to 2 million cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in Disruptors to get 10% off. And if you get value today, please tag a friend below, share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And uh, so let's go ahead and jump into it. So I'm, I start with Willie. What got you into real estate? Yeah, so it's been a little while. Um, started about six years ago. Um, started uh, my career in investment banking right out of college. Did it for a few years, kind of worked the typical 9 a.m. to 1 a.m. type lifestyle for a few years. And That's an investment banking yeah. working schedule. Yeah, it's, it's a fun schedule, but uh, over after a few years, determined that that's not the lifestyle that I wanted to live in. Um, I learned a lot there, got a lot of good skills, but um, while I was at my second gig in banking, kind of started realizing that it's not where I wanted to go, so started looking for opportunities to get out of uh, the financial services industry and kind of become an entrepreneur and do a lot of things. So kind of started looking around and trying to find niches to get involved with. And I found real estate, found bigger pockets. And um, from there, determined that I wanted to get into houses. So I started really digging into wholesaling. So that's a lot of the first, the path of least resistance to get into real estate and earn an active income. So um, that was that was the first avenue that went. And then I- So there's a lot to unpack there. So uh, starting off, deeper. Huh? his story gets way deeper. And then when I mix into the story, it gets even deeper. Gotcha. <laughs> so investment banking, this is you're working on Wall Street. Yeah, I was working on Wall Street for a couple of years. So did you get some fancy degree to work or from like a fancy school to work on Wall Street? Uh, I went to small school, Pomona College, liberal arts school out in California. OK, uh, it's a good school, but not finance oriented, nothing like that. Um, 
and no. it was just right right out of undergrad, so no no bachelor's or no master's degree or anything. Okay. So just went right into it. So you, you jump into investment banking because I think some people that jump into it like you have to have like you know a shiny degree from a shiny college, right? And it's harder potentially to leave. Right. So, so. for me, I guess a lot a lot of people you do kind of need the the degree in order to get in, or you kind of need an angle or something. You, mm -hmm. you got to know someone. For me, it was just a lot of hustle. So I spent a lot of time hitting the phones. I had a spreadsheet of like hundreds of people in the industry and I was just cold calling them. So that's cold calling kind of to get my, a job. Yeah, cold, basically cold calling to get a job. So I that mean, that's my, really relevant experience for our industry. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot of cold calling trying to get my foot in the door. I had like an economics degree, so somewhat relevant, but not quite. I didn't have the modeling experience. I kind of got slapped in the face. Didn't, right. Wasn't super familiar with Excel when I got there. So, so you uh, took that a little disillusioned got into bigger pockets. Right. Now bigger pockets up until recently wasn't like a big fan of wholesaling. Right. So how'd you go from bigger pockets into wholesaling? So I, there were, I, I remember just listening. I used to listen at my desk all day, to be honest. And I was like the single analyst in a, in a group that like very small group. So it was very obvious that I wasn't super focused on the job, <laughs> but um, let's, let's, let's go to our analysts who's listening to real estate show right now. <laughs> right. I'm sure that, I'm sure there's plenty of analysts who are looking to get out of that position. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I heard there were still some people you can sort of listen to on bigger pockets who are in wholesaling. So that, and then I found some other pockets, I found wholesaling Inc. started listening to that. Um, Got it. And then for me, it was tough because I was living in Boston and I knew that I didn't want to live there long term. So I, um, I knew that I wanted to eventually go back to Chicago or, or somewhere else um, to live and I couldn't go on site to make offers on properties. Didn't know how to build a team back then. Um, so I thought that I had to be the one going on site to properties, making offers and didn't uh, feel that I was able to do that. Um, so I kept listening to more podcasts, finally found vacant land investing with huge margins, five mm -hmm. times margins, people buying land for whatever cost and selling it for five times that. And that's really what attracted me towards it. And then uh, in addition to that, the idea that you can do all the due diligence remotely. So you don't have to go on site to properties, make right. offers. You could do all your due diligence, looking at a computer screen, looking at Google earth and kind of seeing the parcel boundaries of a property and then making a buying decision within seconds. That's really what attracted me towards it. And the virtual option has really made it attractive. Right. So was your first transaction then a piece of land? Yeah, so the first deal, well, I bought a condo a few years before that. That was kind of a bust. Um, but As an investment or your primary? Just as a bust. Uh, as an investment, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so was this around the time you were listening to Bigger Pockets? Yeah. So let's talk about that deal first before we get into land. Sure. So what what was the story with that deal? How Why was it a bust? Yeah, so I think part of the reason, the thing with me is I like to take action before really thinking. Um and so I just hired a realtor and bought the, one of the first few properties that I saw, mm -hmm. um, rather than kind of spending time learning an actual strategy and in, in, in getting involved. <laughs> so I basically trusted a realtor, bought the property, and then just rented it out. So yeah. So what made it a bust? Um, it was just a very mediocre, like single-digit IRR, um, hard to scale. Didn't want to. Uh, very capital-intensive, hard hard to scale from that standpoint without like. A track record hard to raise money to kind of do more of those deals so not everyone is a uh, an investment banker so you might want to break down what irr is <laughs> yeah sure favorite word <laughs> um IRR it's an important word cash on cash come on that's like we talk about it every day yeah so what's irr yeah so maybe it is cap I, I guess i am looking for cash on cash it's just the 
the cash flow after the mortgage, mm-hmm. basically, and all in operating expenses yeah. divided by kind of the equity that you put into the purchase of the property. Right. So, say you put in uh, put in fifty grand on a deal, you get um, I don't know if you get ten ten thousand dollars a year, that would be a great return. That'd be a twenty percent IRR. Mm-hmm. Um, that's after mortgage debt service um, and any operating expenses associated so with the property. Some people look at that as you were saying, cash on cash. I think some people look at that as yield. Right. Right. So just a different way to looking at it. Right. I so think, yeah. So single digit IR, which I think for most of the country really isn't bad if you're investing from the outside, right. getting into it. Right. Right. So it really wasn't so bad. It just for you wasn't sustainable because that amount of cash outlay. Right. So for me, I, it wasn't a bust. It was just a bust in the aspect that I was trying to make it a full time gig. Right. And, it, and it, that sort of niche being super capital intensive without buying discounted properties or getting assignment fees, it was hard um, for me to do that full time. Um, so it was a really hard niche to scale unless I decided that I wanted to raise a lot of money. Um, right. So, so, yeah, that, so that was not good. So it was like after one con, you're like, all right, scrap this plan. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> well, after that, I mean, I, I just started spending more time and actually doing research on mm-hmm. some of the niches to get into. Um, so after just spending some real time, the time that I should have spent before buying that first property, I realized that, oh, there's other niches out there that can actually make an active income and be a means for me to quit my job and do something full time. So I'm yeah. not miserable pulling my hair out, staying till one to 3 a.m. every night. So what did you do after, I mean, as far as, uh, the next real estate transaction. Yeah, so the next one was vacant land, so it was land. Um, okay, how, how, how much time passed from your first deal to your second deal? Yeah, so I bought the first deal in February of 2017, so five and a half years ago. Um, next deal was probably April of 2017. Um, so it was a very quick trans- transition. Yeah, it was, it was pretty quick. Got it. Okay, how'd you source that deal? So that deal, I found I found a course on land investing, uh, Seth Williams course, and bought it and basically used his strategy to scrape data mm-hmm. and send out postcards. So for me, it was a lot of money back then, spending 250 bucks on a direct mail campaign. For us now, it's like we spend that in half, half a day. Um, yeah. So, so you're sending out postcards, yeah, saying so, I'm interested in buying your land. Right, just neutral postcards. Um, okay, and then people are calling you? Yeah, so that was that was interesting. People were calling me at my desk at work. Um, I was frequently taking calls in conference rooms, and several times there were people. Like I said, we were a super tight knit group. I didn't want to miss the leads, um, so I had several times where uh, one associate had like walked in on me just talking to sellers. Mm-hmm. But um, was yeah, that a bad thing? I mean, he he doesn't want me to. He doesn't want to know that I'm kind of screwing around on the job doing uh, doing a side hustle. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, um, yeah, I just took the leads from that direct mail campaign, um, ended up buying a property. Actually, I don't know, Yavapai County, I don't know how far that is from Phoenix, but... Pretty close. It's pretty close? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a few hours. Yeah, so I talked to a bunch of sellers, managed those leads, worked them, threw them in an Excel sheet. That was my CRM at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and ended up buying a property out in Yavapai County. Um, called <laughs> from, a realtor. From Boston? Yeah, from Boston. Got it. I mean, I don't even know where I would buy properties in Yavapai County from here. So, <laughs> right. All right. Yeah. So there's software um, where you go on the software and it pulls up the the parcel boundaries just like it would with a house, but you, right. with land, there's really nothing to inspect. 
I know, but it's just, it's fascinating to me that you're in Massachusetts and you're just buying properties in, in, in Yavapai County. Right. So, all right. So you're, you're sending postcards. They're calling you. You're taking the calls at your desk and then you're just negotiating or at not your desk, your conference room. Yeah. <laughs> so you're just negotiating those transactions from the conference room and like buying them like cash, credit card. Like how are you buying these land? Yeah. So they were, it, to begin with, they were all super cheap. We still buy relatively inexpensive lots. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, the first property was, I think it was a little over two acres. And one thing that I missed in the due diligence, it had like a very big sharp dip in the back of it. Um, so there was very little buildable area. Um, and so I called up some realtors and I had actually a couple of realtors who like said that I was crazy for even considering buying it. Um, but kind of did my own due diligence on the property and uh, made my own decision based on, um, it didn't seem like even, even back then I had the intuition that these realtors didn't really know what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just disregarded their comments. I ended up buying that property, but, um, yeah, I mean the due diligence is super simple, super fast. Just what'd you buy it for? That deal I bought for three grand. And what'd you sell it for? Uh, I think nine grand cash. Got it. So you paid three thousand dollars cash, right? And sold for nine. Do you even get title insurance on that? That one I did, yeah. Okay, so not anymore. <laughs> well, right now, yeah, not anymore. We've got a team. Well, we do pro- buy properties with title insurance. Uh, sure. If it's at that price point, a lot of times we do have uh, an in-house title team that does a lot of the the title work checks to make sure that the due diligence is done and we actually close those in house. Um, but I think more than half of the deals that we still, we still buy with title, uh, title insurance. How was, um, so as far as closing on, it, I imagine that was pretty seam- seamless close once you were already have it under contract. Right. So the, so the how was selling it? Selling it, um, back in those days was selling on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. So just posting, going on my computer, still using my work computer at work, posting, uh, <laughs> Posting on Craigslist, just creating a st- stupid listing, yeah. doing everything myself. I didn't have any VAs or anything at that time. So yeah. uh, just kind of winging it. How much were you making at that time at your, at your banking job? Uh, I was like around 130 a year. Okay. Yeah. So selling one of those isn't, isn't enough to make a dent. So what would you do after that? So after that, um, I kept doing it um, on the side at that job. And over time... Um, I actually ended up getting fired from that job. Um, four. So the, <laughs> the four is still <laughs> unclear. Um, really? Yeah. I it mean, they were not super. It wasn't a performance situation. Didn't they catch like, you at the? One of my one of the <laughs> one of the directors caught me at a coffee shop twice, uh, <laughs> just on, on on a weekend doing the side hustle. So yeah, they claimed performance and on a weekend. Yeah, it was a weekend. They caught you. At a coffee shop on a weekend. I, I probably should have done a better job, but I... Uh, well, I mean, the fact that it's a weekend seems to me like you should have been allowed to be at a coffee shop. Yeah, well, he he caught, he snooped in on my computer. He's like, in the, he like walked in behind me and... No, I uh, get that part, but why can't you be at a coffee shop on the oh, weekend? Oh, no, I, I can. So, I mean, they... <laughs> the investment banking so bad that you can't work weekends? Or <laughs> that you have to work weekends? Yeah, well, I don't know. He, I, I've been caught a few times at that place, just given the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, given the small size of the group, got um, and so yeah, I got I got fired from that job. Okay, but that was a blessing. It was a blessing in disguise. I actually I threw an absolute fit when I got fired. I threw oh, a temper got, tantrum. And I hear this story. This is like Jerry Maguire. Like, 
Um, <laughs> it was uh, he he. Uh, it was just a lot of screaming. A lot of, a lot of screaming. My director pretty much jumped when like when he told me, and I got I kind of got stiffed on my bonus. Um, so there was just a lot of back and forth, and it was not a not the most pleasant experience. Not the most professional from the outside. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. So you got fired. Uh, so the first transaction seemed to be seamless. What was like the next step after that? Um, so after that, I kind of took unemployment for six months, uh, started doing it on the side. I ended up taking another job that I took for about eight months, but then I started to sell properties on terms. Mm -hmm. So low down payments, low monthly payments, uh, and just earning money on the cash flow, getting five, six times margins. Um, and that was really once I realized that there's a huge market for huge market for vacant land mm -hmm. that's underserved because most sellers are only willing to accept cash and throwing in like building out a website and a payment processor in the background, the combination of all those things and kind of moving it into an e-commerce type business. That's really what allowed it to really get legs and scale because while like all this cash wasn't coming in, it was really building a specialty finance type company. And um, like the, the floodgates opened because just I was serving a need in a market mm -hmm. that didn't exist, that, that no one, very few people were serving. And uh, the people that were serving it weren't able to really do it at scale. They weren't thinking um, from like a fine, they don't come from maybe a financial background and understand um, maybe the mechanics and the balance sheet that they're building. Um, so that sort of arbitrage really uh, opened the floodgates and things started to feel a lot better. And I started to sell a lot more properties because um, so, in our niche. Like with discount loss, I mean, basically you're saying that the image I have at least is of, you know, a website where you can sell land um, at volume and right. getting people to come there and, and buy the land with a credit card. You're saying like that was pretty much 2017. Yeah, that was about in 2018. I didn't, 2018. I didn't mess with that until maybe 2018. I didn't realize that that was the market that I needed to serve. Wow. Yeah, it was, you were just doing like cash flips for the first year, right? Yeah, I was just doing cash and flips and it was... Switched it. But I mean, that was... And I'm not in the picture yet, by the way, for this story. Like, right. I, I don't even know. I've never even met Willie in my life in, by 2018. <laughs> yeah, so it's fascinating. Like the, you were able to find this need and fill it back when you're still doing this as a side hustle. Right. That's pretty impressive. So after that, when did, when did you come along? Yeah, so um, twenty summer of 2019, so just to back up, my background is I own, I still own an Amazon FBA business that I had started in 2016 mm -hmm. timeframe. So my background is like e-commerce. And then before that, I worked for like this pharmaceutical company. And I had to like go door to door, like sales, cold call people, knock on their door, like at pharmacies. Mm -hmm. So like that was my background right out of college. You would go to pharmacies. And hospitals. So like a Walgreens or CVS? No, like little ones. Um, it. It was, I hated that job, but I, it, it was like, I had a remote job in 2014 when remote jobs weren't a thing. Mm -hmm. So I was able to like figure out what my side hustle was gonna be, which ended up becoming uh, Amazon because Amazon was super hot back then. Yeah. Right now I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. It's so difficult and it's very like, just not what it used to be. Mm -hmm. um, but that's how I got my feet wet. So my, my background was e-commerce marketing um, online and sales. Yeah. So summer of 2019, um, my brother-in-law who, um, Austin, who grew up with Willie, 
because Willie, we grew up only like a town apart, um, but we never knew each other. But my brother-in-law one day was like, in the summer, he's like, why don't you come with me to this party? I was like, okay, cool. So I came to the party and it was like a, like a party bus or something. And he was like, come meet my friend, Willie. He's got this really cool business. Cause, and he's like, you're an entrepreneur. He's an entrepreneur. Maybe you guys will like be friends or something. Yeah. So we like meet each other on this party bus and we just start talking and he's like, tell me about his business. And I was like, that's like the coolest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I've never heard of this. Yeah. <laughs> so we, well, it was innovative, right? Like, well, there was people doing it at the time, but like super low key. Yeah. Um, and so we, we started building a friendship and I just kept asking more and more questions about like what he was doing. Cause I just couldn't stop thinking about how cool this is and yeah. like what he had built on his own with like one at that. You just had Nika at the time, right? One VA. She was, yeah, the one full-time VA. Yeah. He had one person and he was like putting up big numbers mm-hmm. and I was like, and I saw his website and I like saw like the e-commerce aspect of it. And I was like, this could be way better and way bigger. Like the, this isn't even scratching the surface. Yeah. And so over like a multi-month period, I basically convinced him that we should partner up mm-hmm. and that I would like put my thing aside. He'll put his thing aside and we'll form a new company um, with the goal of like, there's a massive opportunity here. It's a bunch of mom and pops that are not sophisticated with e-commerce. They don't know finance um, and they don't know how to do marketing and sales. And we can build like a trusted place that people will go to buy land online with a credit card mm-hmm. and be the place. Um, so that started in 2019, we like partnered up and that's kind of how we, we just randomly cross paths at a party. <laughs> uh, so what were some of the challenges you guys experienced? So it's not like, even though it wasn't necessarily the only kid in the block, it was still newer, right? So there are some other people there. What were some of the biggest challenges you guys faced or was there no challenge in like eliminating the competition? Honestly, like we don't, we still to this day, like competition doesn't really phase us. It's mm-hmm. not like, I think from our perspective is we're just doing things so differently from everyone else that like, it's not super relevant. We kind of looked at like, there's two or three like people that have been around for a long time and that have a little bit of a brand. I wouldn't say it's very strong. Um, and we kind of just had them on our dartboard in terms of like, these are the people that are quote unquote, the biggest and the best. And within the first two years, like I think as of last year, we were doing way more volume than them. Right. Um, yeah. I think one thing that um, it, it's, it, we have a pretty big barrier to entry, I would say, because like those that are in our industry, in our niche land, a lot of them try to go upscale. They get, they start doing a lot of land deals. And they can, it's, it's not so hard to scale because the product market fit for selling lands on with low down payments, low monthly payments is not hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's there, but like there's huge demand for it. What people don't get, understand how to like sort of resolve is once they run out of money, because everyone runs out of money, how do you continue to grow and scale? And that's something I think the financial, the financial piece, like for us, we raised um, a lot of money for the company um, and structure it in a way that makes sense and we're comfortable with, we're good with the reporting. Um, so I think that financial piece is a really big barrier to entry that most people who get involved in this niche don't, um, overcome. And then they just start trying to scale by doing bigger deals or more cash flips. Um, so I think that's, that's really one of the, one of the big things that we've done. So that explain that. Us. Why, but like at that, like why at, do you run out of money? Well, at the end of the day, like we're a balance sheet business. Um, we're just building a massive balance sheet. Um, and most people don't understand that. And like, you know, it's like a, a wholesaler or a 
you know, someone flipping houses is like, they just like at the end of the day, you want to make profit and you want to make immediate money, right? For us, we're building this massive balance sheet that's bringing us recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. um, but in order to sell, to sell, to scale it, you, you need to have cash flow to keep buying more properties. And Willie's can, I like how Willie unpacks it. If you want to unpack that too. Yeah. Well, I guess like an average deal for us looks like we'll buy for five grand, we'll sell for 25 grand over eight, eight years on average. So that's like an average deal. And we'll get our money back like around month 16 for like that 5k. Mm -hmm. Right. But the, so we sell a property called for a few hundred dollars down a few hundred dollars a month, but we're into that property for five grand, but we're not just into that property for five grand. We have marketing sales operations expense to add onto that, to add a new property to our portfolio. So call that 2,500 bucks. So yeah. we're really into that property for 7,500 bucks and we sell it for 25,000. Um, and we're selling it for a few hundred dollars down a few hundred dollars a month. So the time that it takes us to recoup that 7,500 bucks is a, several, a few years, at least around two, two ish, maybe a little longer years. So um, for us, you look at the, you, you look at an income statement on a growing business, a growing finance company, mm -hmm. and you're going to see negative income for that year for that uh, portfolio of assets that you just added to the books. So for a lot, I think the, the financial aspect confuses a lot of people and don't really recognize the, the balance sheet like equity that you're growing year over year by just selling these lots over, yeah. over a period of time. So I think that's what, uh, and we, we had a coaching business for a little while. Um, and we, we, we dealt with people who were getting involved and trying to running into the same issues as us. And that's really the biggest barrier that a lot well, of people Well, I think when you talk about balance sheets, it's, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not obscure per se, but it's just, I can say, you know, been doing this for 15 years. I would say probably the first six or seven years of my business, I just didn't understand balance sheets at all. They just didn't make any sense, right? Like, for example, um, this is where I would argue with my accountant all the time, right? Like, I bought this product for $5,000, but I put it on my credit card. But because it was on my credit card, it was an expense when I swiped it. But when I paid it out of my bank account, pay, out, pay down that credit card, 5000 comes from my bank account to my credit card. Right. That is a balance sheet situation. That's not an expense. But for me, it's like, but $5,000 left my bank account. Like, how is that not an <laughs> expense? So there's time difference from when it's a, an expense to coming off the balance sheet and this and that. It's just so counterintuitive. And it's like, I kind of liken it to like when you have to regroove your brain, right? Your brain's worked this whole way, your whole life. And now we have to reprogram or rewire the brain in a way that for me still feels completely counterintuitive. Right. Exactly. When you, yeah, everyone's focused on, it's, it's super intuitive to focus on the income statement and say, oh, I'm only collecting this amount of money, but I'm spending this. Mm -hmm. Therefore, this, this doesn't actually make sense. When in reality, like we're killing it, we're, we're building huge equity in the balance sheet every single month. We're selling three, four million dollars a month on, in adding that to our portfolio every single month. But the income statement doesn't look so pretty so that, so people, the ordinary person who's getting into this niche is right. going to look elsewhere. It's, and find it's this. very cash flow negative. Right. Uh, particularly, is, are you guys even financing this land? So it's, yeah, it's all on installment contracts. So you're buying on, on installment. But oh, no, maybe, no, 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 we're buying it with cash. So you're buying it cash. Right, yeah. Right. So you're outlaying cash. So I guess a relevant or comparable statement might be if you're buying a house cash. Yeah, basically we're right. buying a bunch of houses for cash. Right, so you're out this capital right now. Yeah. It's going to take a very long time to recoup that cash. Yeah. More or less. Right, so we're talking about buying 5000 
and then selling it for twenty five thousand over eight years, right? Right. Then you finance it. I guess it might be like if you're buying a, a five hundred thousand dollar house and you're selling it for two and a half million, right? Right. Yeah. But there's only so many five hundred thousand dollars houses you, you can buy for cash, right? So is that is that a relevant? Kind of. I would I would say like. The easiest way to think about our business is like besides us being the, this e-commerce platform that mm -hmm. allows people to um, buy land, like, and there, that's a whole nother conversation about why this niche even exists, which we can get into if mm -hmm. you like, which is like, it's an underserved market. Like a bank won't give you a $25,000 mortgage on, um, on a piece of land <laughs> that, that you don't have, that you don't have um, any plans to build on it. Um, or even like a $50,000 lot. If you, I don't know, Yavapai County, you found a hundred acres for 50 grand and you didn't want to build on it, you didn't want to like do agriculture, agriculture. you didn't have any plans with it, you just wanted to have it as an investment. You just want to own it. You just want to own it and go camping or whatever. That's, you know, our, you, the list of things our buyers That's do. That's not a financeable asset. Right, <laughs> you can't go to the bank. It's very difficult to get go to the bank and mm -hmm. get that, even if you have amazing credit. Yeah. And so that's kind of how, what, like the market we cater towards is this like a dollar to a hundred grand kind of, yeah. Area. Well, it's 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 almost an illiquid asset because the market for buying that, the demand for it is pretty low because the seller needs to sell it for cash unless they're going to do a seller carry, right? So right. you guys are paying cash, and then you guys are willing to accept terms. So you guys are the bank. Right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, for sure, I can see why that's such a difficult model to break into. So that is one piece of the puzzle though, right? You guys yep. are buying properties and then selling it on terms. The other part too is you guys created a platform that made you guys also difficult to compete against. Is that accurate? Well, not difficult because like you can go to our website and I, you can, I challenge you to go to anyone else's land website and ours is better. Mm -hmm. we, What's the website? Discountlots.com. Brilliant URL. Yeah, best two grand I ever spent. <laughs> um, but you can go there and our our website is better than anyone's like I challenge anyone to to check out our site and say that they have a better customer experience like we have probably more reviews than anyone like it's I basically when we built this I looked at it like an almost like an Amazon listing mm -hmm. like to win at Amazon you have to have the best listing the best product the most reviews um Great and you pictures. have to know how to rank it and you have to have the best uh uh media buying PPC. Mm -hmm. And so we basically just do all that, but on a website. Right. Um, and that's how I think about our, like we have a, we have a 10 person marketing team. Um, we have a 10 person marketing team. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, we have like a collections team of 10 people. We have like that f for our portfolio to service our customers. Like, mm -hmm. so you can call up and if you need help with your property or you need to make a payment or whatever, we have a whole team for that. We have an acquisitions team. Um, what else do we have? Our, our biggest team, our sales team. Yeah, our sales. We have a, yeah, I don't know. Long, long day today, but uh, we have a 20 person sales team. So you can go to discountlots.com right now and call, mm -hmm. and someone will answer right away and help you find a property that you want, like basically any hour of the day. Um, and that's kind of like almost modeling it off of Amazon, like just the best of all of it and the best prices. And like, that's just kind of like what our philosophy is towards it. And that's why I think it's taken off. And then you mix in this finance piece of it where you actually know what you're doing with a mm -hmm. balance sheet and know how to scale it. You get kind of the best of all the worlds. And I think that's probably why 
we are where we are. Yeah. I mean, I, I was trying to use the, the the houses example earlier, but I would say probably the most comparable model is just the game of Monopoly. I mean, you're just buying <laughs> these things, and then when someone <laughs> lands on it, they have to pay a lot of money. So you just have this, like, gigantic Monopoly board. Um, so I like that. <laughs> um, the so we talk about you know fifteen hundred deals per year. Where are you sourcing the land from at the moment? Um, where are we sourcing it from? Just private owners, um, one by one. So at this point, are they reaching out to you, or are you still doing outbound marketing? Still outbound. Um, and then in, in addition to like our for discountlots.com, we have like a, a flip team that provides additional cash flow for our business, similar to like. You know, flipping a house, we flip bigger deals, you know, mm-hmm. like where we'll buy it for 200 grand and sell for 400 or something for like commercial or um, an infill lot in yeah. like a major city where we know what we're doing. Those deals come across. And so we also have that as part of the mix where we're right. not trying to get. But predominantly it's, it's land. So, oh, yeah, it's all land. So how you talking about outbound marketing, like if someone were listening right now, they say, OK, well, I like this model. I want to do this. How can they source the same land? Yeah, so I mean, the easiest way to get land is just like similar to it's the same thing as trying to get a, a, a off market house. You're cold calling, you're sending out mail, you're not knocking on doors, but um, right. <laughs> you don't really have to drive for dollars in this niche. niche yeah. But um, so we had like we had Jack Bosch on the show, right? Yeah, you know, a fellow CG member. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, when he was on the show, he said they just send out contracts, right? They just Identify the piece of land they want, and uh, and I think it was they would send out offers for like some percentage of tax value, and then they know if they send out this many pieces of not pieces of mail, if they send out this many contracts <laughs> by mail, a certain percentage would just come back signed, which was mind blowing. Yeah, me. that's that's like that's how we do it. It's just so you guys are just sending out offers. It depends on the area. Some we like where it's there, it's like a hotter area, for example, like. You wanted to target a major city and, and fill lots it's not going to work mm-hmm. um but you know for in yavapai county yeah you could send out a piece of paper that says i'll buy your 40 acre track for five grand and there's a little signature line on there and it comes back right that's how we get it started <laughs> so um you send out the offers homeowner gets a piece of mail if they don't sign the contract what happens then do they call you guys yeah call negotiate Whatever. So then the rest of the part, what uh, rest of the process then is pretty much the same. It's as if you're buying a house. Yeah. Right. You're doing outbound marketing. They're calling you. You got a sales team. Right. Yeah. And then you contract it and then you go through. Is Dispo predominantly discount lots or is it other yeah. Dispo processes as well? Yeah. So like it's discountlots.com. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like our 20 person sales team is for discountlots.com. So like you can put your information in and then a salesperson will talk to you to, to if you want to buy a lot. But um, then our dispo for, um, like the cash flips is different. Like yeah. a two hundred thousand dollar property, we're not going to put on our website because right. we'll get our money back by the time we're dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember you guys did this presentation uh, when you guys first joined Collective Genius, right? It's like, oh, here's what we're doing, and we're doing. Was it, I think it was like a hundred thousand a month, or was it, what was the number you guys were talking? You're about? You're talking about that first CG Your presentation. Your very first CG presentation. Yeah, we got super lucky. I like. People to this day, we've been in for over two years now. People come up to us and be like, "Oh yeah, I remember your first presentation." Like that was during COVID when they, um, 
you didn't have to go to the breakout room. So everyone, like every single member was in the main room and it was like our first thing mm -hmm. and we were on stage in front of all these people and everyone was like, whoa. Right. And then that was kind of how we got our first kind of really good influx of cash was from just people in the room that were like, whoa. Yeah, well, you guys are saying like we're doing 100,000 a month and we're running no, it was money. It was a lot more than that at the time. At, uh, or it was a million a month. It was a million a month. Right, at least a million a month. Yeah, you guys are saying, we're doing a million a month and we're out of cash. Yeah, yeah, it was like, it was, that sounds about right. It was like close to like a million or something. Yeah, yeah I remember. So yeah, you kind of took it over by storm. So uh, talk about that. So you go in there, big, bold statement, but also we're out of cash. And I remember witnessing it, right? You guys fixed that cash problem almost instantly in that room. You want to talk about that experience? Yeah, I think uh, Frank uh, was the moderator at the time and mm -hmm. he kind of said, all right, I got... I got five or six people that I'll put you in touch with um, that I'm sure would be at least interested in having a conversation. So um, we met with, uh, I guess what ended up happening from that is that we talked to Mike Zlotnick. Uh, he was one of the several people who we talked with. There's a number of guys in CG that have a fund um, mm -hmm. or at least capital resources to put to work. So we met with Mike. He kind of syndicated a deal between himself, Jason, put in uh, a good amount, Connie, uh, Ken, Ken. Ken. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was them four. And then I think Fitzgerald put in some and then yeah, he had some in the, the deal as well. The crazy part was, is at the time we were doing like 800 or a million, whatever it was a month. And um, that was like our first full year in business. And we had like 10 people at the time, maybe. No, we had more than that at that time. We didn't have that many people. We had like 30, I think. No, it was a lot less than that. And I remember like, after we got that influx of cash, we like within three or six months, we doubled the business. Yeah. Um, and then it's kind of just gone from there. But like that single event of us being on stage completely changed our business. Like we would have figured it out, but I don't think we would have been able to put that much rocket fuel on it. No, definitely not. I mean, it was almost like an episode of Shark Tank, right? Where it's like, here's the situation you're in. It's like, all right, here's the money. Right? Everyone, <laughs> everyone's just throwing money at you, which yeah. is uh, the power, right? Of, of being in the right room, being in the right mastermind. Yeah. Um, well, that was our intention. It was like we were, and we were at the point where we were on Google, me and Willie ourselves sitting in our office, cold calling like ABL lenders and like just trying to find someone that would understand our situation. <laughs> we like we didn't know what to do, and we ourselves were cold calling, and it was just getting nowhere. Um, and two different people were like, "There's this group called the Collective Genius." Mm -hmm. I bet you they could help you with your problem. And then it was, I don't remember what the fee was at the time to join Collective Genius. And at that time, it was like a lot of money for us. And I mean, it still is a lot of money, but it was just like, all right, we're going to join this group. And if we don't figure out the money situation, we're going to learn something. But like our goal was like, we need to figure out this money problem or we're screwed. Right. Yeah. Which goes back to the point you, make, you were making a few minutes ago, right? Like the reason why people don't scale in this, in this niche is that they run out of capital. Right, and yeah, the traditional sources like a bank or whoever, even specialty lenders are a little um, weary of it. We don't so. fit in any, like, no one's really done at our, gone, gotten at our scale. So mm -hmm. even to this day, like, banks still don't understand it. Um, and that's kind of another thing, like, that we're trying to solve now is to get to the next level. But, like, we, it's not a house, so, like, a bank doesn't understand what we're doing. Like we don't fit in their like underwriting criteria. So it's still this situation of yeah. like needing to use private money instead of getting like, you know, a line of credit to keep growing this business because most people just don't understand it. Um, and we're, and it's not a traditional right. 
asset. Definitely not conventional financing. Exactly. Um, and then the one other thing I, I really appreciated, um, we stole this idea from you guys, was you presented SCG talking about one of the simplest ways to improve your sales team is to just hire a VA for six or seven bucks an hour and just have them listen to the calls, right? I remember you talking about that. I was like, that's a really good idea. I think I voted for you uh, on that on that one. And so you want to talk about the power of that, of how that uh, improved your sales team? Um, yeah, I mean, that was, I think that was Willie's invention. Um, he basically got an auditor. He basically hired a bunch of auditors mm -hmm. from the Philippines to audit everything in the business. Um, I let him kind of unpack that. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't just sales calls. It was, well, it was sales calls, like doing that, making sure that people are saying the right things on the phones, making sure that they're actually following the script. But then also it's, like just making sure that um, all the checks and balances are happening, making sure that we send out like cashier checks, making sure that everything ties to the books um, and just, yeah, going through like doing, I mean, right now we have an audit, we have multiple auditors. We've got one who just looks and makes sure that um, all the ends tie in our CRM. We're moving into Salesforce. That's a big deal. But uh, the second auditor is, well, we've got people listening to calls too. So that's another thing. And then the third thing is, just auditing all the KPIs in our business. Mm -hmm. And we right now we have over 250 di different KPIs. Yeah, there's a full-time person's job just to make sure that all the numbers are tidy. That's incredible. Um, but the cool part is, is like we get daily emails of like, this is where your portfolio is to the penny. And I know like we have, you know, five, five collectors um, or 10 collectors. And I know how much is in their portfolio, how many people um, are behind how many people are on time and so we know like where our money is at every single day yeah that's very very detailed and that's awesome um and then one thing i have to say you know thank you like you guys actually you guys are here uh but not too long ago you guys sent your sales team out here right yeah got to meet well, the, that, our acquisitions team yeah yeah so that, that was pretty cool, right? Got to meet uh, four of you guys. I, yeah. I understand three of them are still with you. Yeah. yeah, Ted, Mike, and Chris, I'm sure they'd love a shout out. So. Yeah, yeah, give them, yeah. we were with them yesterday. They yeah. were like, tell, tell Steve I say hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're really good dudes. Um, and then uh, at some point along the way, you figured out uh, you want to scale this VA side of the business. Like hiring VAs? Well, you guys hire VAs, but then you guys are... are yeah, so, so basically like we have right now about roughly 75 employees and over 50% are overseas. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of the philosophy behind that has been like, we can get the best talent from around the world by using the right sort of systems, checks and balances and like testing um, to recruit high end talent Yeah. Um, at a fraction of the cost it is in the United States. Um, and so through that, we've kind of just, seen a lot of people and seen a lot of things and um, when you have 75 people you kind of know what to look forward to it's a extent. crazy number I know it's it's crazy yeah um, and so we kind of like have quietly started a little like VA business for real estate professionals because mm -hmm. it's basically the same systems that we use for our business and you know we can you know someone that wants to get a VA or an auditor or whatever like they're all kind of vetted the same process that we vet so we just had so many candidates coming through and we just didn't know what to do with them because we're like we have too many people <laughs> so we, we kind of started this little um, VA service gotcha so if someone were listening how would how would that VA service be valuable for them 
Um, I think it's great for like anyone in the real estate industry that is, you know, like Willie when he first started. Um, I mean, honestly, anyone that wants to get, um, you know, get more appointments. Like we have a whole appointment setter team that will um, cold call on a dialer for you and mm -hmm. um, get more appointments for your team, transaction coordinators, um, even like managing your social media. Like we just, it's the same people that work for us. It's the same process. Um, and I noticed your shirt says defund the HOA. Well, are you trying to send a message somewhere? Maybe. No, I, uh, I wanted to get the defund the IRS shirt, but they ran out. <laughs> there's one, there's a shirt that says defund the IRS. I, 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 I totally stand behind. No, I have not seen that, but I totally stand behind that shirt. No, I think, I think it's funny because I live in Florida and everyone lives in an HOA. Yeah. Um, and it's even funnier because my dad's the president of our HOA. He lives on the same street as me. Um, so I like wearing this shirt because I think it's really funny. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and I guess last thing on the on the VA company. So our company is rhire.com, the letter R, hire.com. And what we do differently is uh, uh, we we're, we live and die by the predictive index and a lot of that testing. Mm -hmm. So we, and our recruiter's super good. He's out based out in the Philippines. Um, he hires the best talent out there. Uh, when I first got started, um, investing in real estate and hiring VAs, I went through at least five or six before I got one that was good. And that's because I didn't really know how to think about hiring. I thought that everyone out there or everyone that I could get as a VA was, was pretty much the same and not detail oriented, not helpful. Um, so I had to just re <laughs> recycle through a bunch of them until I kind of found one that's right. And right now we have it down to a great science on how to hire a good salesperson, a good admin person, a good um, marketing person, whatever you guys kind of need as, um, as, a, as an investor getting into the space. So we're, we're really good at that. I did, I did a really bad job pitching the VA service. <laughs> That's right. Someone had to do it. You get your partner uh, in crime. No, the, 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 the real differentiator is like, we kind of built like a backend platform. So like, let's say that you wanted to um, hire a transaction coordinator. You can log into our thing and then um, they'll, all the candidates already be there. You'll see their PI. They'll record, there'll be a recorded video where they'll talk to you uh, so you can instantly hear if they have an accent, if it fits with what you're looking for. And like my biggest frustration when, you know, we've gone through services and hired all kinds of VAs, the biggest annoying thing is one, not knowing what you're going to get mm -hmm. um, just based off of a resume. So like we kind of eliminated that. And then the second part that's so annoying is like um, you, the back and forth. And so it's the back and forth and then like not knowing what you're going to get. So like you get a video from the VA and they'll explain why they're good or not good or good at whatever you're hiring for. And then if you like the person, you can just click the calendar link mm -hmm. and schedule a call with them. Yeah. Um, so this is like a, almost like a dating service. A hundred percent. But you have all the, that you have the entire like scorecard on the back and it's yeah. not just a resume. It's like who they right. are, like how precise are they? How high is their A? How high is their D? And, it, and, and we're only going to place. So let's say you want a transaction coordinator. We're only going to place with the same PI criteria that Discount Lots hires for. Right. So it would be you like- You wouldn't a hire them so, un unless you had these things and you're creating a, 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 a platform where they can see those same exact things. Right, so, so they need like a transaction coordinator, you gotta have a high D, like you have to like be precise. And so right. like, you're gonna see like five candidates that all have a high D, otherwise they're not gonna be put in the pool for you as a VA. And so like in our minds, we just kind of looked and saw like all these other VA services out there and we're like, they're just not making, they're not hitting the mark. Yeah. And so we're kind of launching it now, but that's like the premise of it. Cool. And then uh, you said, you know, 7580 people. 
So we talked about there's ten, uh, there's twenty on on discount lots that are selling. Yeah. Ten collection, which is really working with people that have bought something. Yeah, customer service slash collections. Yeah, and there was ten. What was the other ten? Acquisitions, uh, and then operations. We have about at least ten in the Philippines. Um, Just administrative, administrative work. Fifty. Uh, so marketing deal team is about ten to. Well, we've got about what's 10, deal team? That's that's like Ted and Mike and so got, the acquisitions team. Yeah, right. we've got twelve callers for the deal team. We've got those four acquisition guys in a U.S. based, and then we've got twenty on the sales team. So that's. 36 and then we've got 10 on the marketing team 10 on the uh, customer service team about 10 to 15 operations um, I'm probably missing something somewhere. <laughs> oh, probably but I mean you're looking <laughs> at that right finance. so um, But this is what it takes to do 1500 transactions a year right to do You guys saying you're on pace for like 40 million dollars This year, yeah, it takes 75 80 people To make this happen. Yeah, uh, so for question for you guys here then is how well are you guys sleeping? <laughs> Depends on the week. <laughs> no, I, we sleep pretty good. I, 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 I'm, I'm very proud of what we've built. Mm -hmm. Very proud of it. And um, so it's a pretty robust system with the with. I mean, this is a, this is a large organization. It's a large number of transactions. It's yeah. 100 plus deals a month. Yeah. Right. So it's pretty robust. Pretty hands yeah. off. I would say I, I'm pretty proud of like how I mean Gary Harper's helped us with create our meetings and cadences that kind of thing. I think our Monday meeting for me at least is the most important meeting of the week, and it's like two hours this last week, mm -hmm. and it's just going over every KPI, every um, all the issues from the from the prior week, every everything that we need to talk to as uh, a leadership team, um, and making sure everyone's on the same page, making sure that people are accountable for what they're supposed to do, um, and I think that meeting on Monday sets the tone. And I, I don't, I mean, we're not, we don't have to kill ourselves if we don't want to. Um, right. Yeah. I think if, even if we just dedicated one solid date of the week to just operations, we're, we're probably set in a good spot. Everything yeah. else is really focused on growth and fixing fires. But, but back in April, we, um, like, you're basically asking, like, do we have a good work-life balance, essentially? More or less, yeah. Yeah. So, like, back in um, April, yeah, April, we went, or, at, yeah, end of April, we, Willie and I went um, with our significant others, our girlfriends, and hiked um, Machu Picchu. We camped like in tents for four days, um, and it was like 27 miles and like 15,000 feet up. And we had our phones off for a week, nice. like no one could contact us. And we came back, and I was like, kind of. I mean, it was great, but there was like no problems. And That's I was awesome. like, that was like the test. So we were like, we're gonna do a test this year and see like. How good is our organization running? And that was the test, and we passed the test. So that was like a big moment, because um, honestly, like when you get to a bigger size company, it's not even really about the real estate. It's about like learning how to run an organization and yeah. all that. And it's a totally different ball game, and the problems you deal with are way different than like how to, you know, cr do a creative finance on a flip or something, right? Yeah. It's a totally different set of skills, and we're learning those skills every day. It's 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 not easy. Well, I'm asking these questions, right? Because I'm not at this scale, you know, but we have, you know, the overhead, we have the employees, we have all these different departments. And like the bigger the organization, the more problems they are, there are and the more complicated. The, like, because if it's a problem that gets to you guys, I don't know about you guys, like for me, if it's a problem that gets to me, it's a really difficult problem, <laughs> right? It's not like, oh, just do this, right? right? It's like, all right, let's 
close the laptop, let's close the doors, and like let's just break this down from beginning to end. How did we get here? Those are the kind of problems I deal with. I imagine those are kind of the problems you guys you'll, deal you'll with. You'll like this one. We were um, at, at the Cubs game yesterday, and all of a sudden my phone starts ringing of people that wanted to sell their land, and I've never, my personal cell phone, I've never had it ring to my phone ever in mm -hmm. three years that we've been partners. And some people at the company heard from me that day. Something <laughs> something got messed up with our answering service in yeah. it in a mailer hit and it was forwarding to my personal <laughs> cell. And I'm like, what is going on today? Right. So not a big problem, but that was a fun problem to deal with yesterday. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the problems I I mean we we deal with some interesting problems just like when you're at that scale and there's you know, and we're playing with big dollar amounts. It's not little dollar amounts. And so you have to be very calculated with what you're doing because there's a lot at risk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one one thing that we do we is just holding people accountable, making people take responsibility, take ownership over their department and anything that's all the problems that are associated with their department. I would say one thing that Paul and I are not is uh, at least I'm not. Paul's a little bit more of a micromanager, I'd say. <laughs> but um, I, I I really allow people to take responsibility over and ownership over things and I try not to respond to Skype and my messages throughout the day um, and really just hold people and put their feet to the fire and um, if there's something that needs to be um, talked about I just add it to Asana we talk about it on Monday it's not gonna bother my week I'm not gonna just run in a million directions and on that Monday meeting I hold them accountable and make sure that they handle it the following week yeah. rather than fires getting sent to us and then we, we have to deal with them and then um, at the end of the day, now I'm responsible, not them. So you got to, if someone bothers you, you got to bother them back and hold them accountable. Yeah. That's kind of the management style that I've sort of learned. I like it. Uh, what kind of marketing budget do you guys have to run the operation you guys are running right now? Like you're talking like outbound, like, cause there's, there's two there's sides. marketing of, and there's but, overhead. So I'm first not, starting with marketing. Well, no, but overhead. when you say marketing, are you talking about running discountlots.com or acquiring properties? Combined. Let's, let's break it out. Acquisitions probably like thirty to fifty a month, just on mail, direct mail. Mm -hmm. um, marketing spends call it hundred grand a month, like Facebook ads, Google ads, driving traffic to the website, try to sell properties. Hundred grand a month, right? To send people to your website, right? Very healthy amount. <laughs> and then, what's the overhead aside from marketing? Uh, we got a little bit. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it publicly on here. <laughs> uh, so, but more than probably the hundred k. Well, well, well above. <laughs> Got it. Uh, and then what CRM or tool or system do you guys like right now live and die by? Like what, what if I took the, what one tool if I took away from you guys, you guys would be like screaming at me for maybe like the situation where you got fired. Um, one tool. I mean, we're moving everything over to Salesforce. That's like, it's been a 14 month build so far. 14 months. And yeah, and because we're like, we're building it so that like when acquisition starts, like their process it's in there and then like when like it's gonna be like on discount lots and you see the property it's mm -hmm. going through that whole process and so like if we change a price it changes on the website yeah and people will be able to log in and make their monthly monthly payments and they'll see their payment history and pay their taxes and it's it's been a nightmarish process i don't ever want to get involved with software i can tell you that yeah um, but it's it's not just like a sales force for a sales team. It's like your whole organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. be super dope when it's done because we have an e-commerce business at the end of the day, and like 
all sides of the business, like from acquisitions to sales to customer service to collections to billing to payments to finance operations, everything is going to be in there. It's all going to be a super robust system, and we're not done yet, but uh, we're getting we're getting a little closer. Um, I would say probably if it's doing everything, and and they probably should rename it from Salesforce, right? I mean, it just seems like it's just your whole company, so it's yeah. just operations, discount force, discount force. <laughs> Uh, what is your biggest struggle right now? Um, I'd probably say we're back to like the finance issue again because like now we're at an even bigger scale mm-hmm. and we need even more money now. And we still, we got, we have one bank financing, but we're now kind of trying to figure out what that future looks like for us in terms of like, are we now going to become um, a fund? Because at the end of the day, that's what we're, what we need to do mm-hmm. um, and learn how to raise money because that's ultimately like the only way we can scale our business until we're probably in the hundreds of millions when a bank can look at us and say, or, or like a, like a specialty finance company can look at us and say like, you know, we're, we're basically become like an annuity for them where they can, we can basically be, um, what do you call it when they're like a perpetual fund? No, like when basically when, when they can like, take a big pool of uh, syndicate pretty much like for once it gets to a certain size, then like bigger people will look at you. Yeah. I, I can't remember the terminology, but um, that's kind of like trying to figure out how do we continue to grow? Because like we mentioned before, we have an insanely profitable business, but it's not super cash flow for what we're building. We're both, right. we have this, we're basically at the end of the day, we're almost like a bank. Yeah, well, I mean, um, you're 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 consistently growing the valuable the value of the company. Yeah, with uh, it's almost like growing your net worth. Yeah, exactly. Right? You're growing the the value of the assets and improving the balance sheet, but you can't live off a of balance sheet. Right. Yeah. So in uh, Big Mike, Mike's lot, like he's been super helpful, and like our, we have a different financial problem now. It's not that we don't have enough cash. Um, he's provided us a line of credit and with his funds, and they've been super helpful. At this point, we're just trying to basically lower our cost of capital and mm-hmm. um, kind of get uh, to a position where we're long-term sustainable at sort of uh, l- lower better, rates. Better, than, better, better rates. Yeah, better, better rates. What's the target rate you, like, you guys would like to be at? Um, like basically like in the... Well, I, I don't know. If, so we, basically what we've decided is that we're going to uh, be raising a fund to basically try to lower our cost of capital. We have this big balance sheet with performing assets, with cash flow mm-hmm. coming in regular. Regularly, we've got almost 2,000, basically 2,000 customers making, Ma- making monthly, monthly payments. That, that's like the equivalent of like you have 2,000 doors and they're making monthly payments. It's the same right. thing. It's just... So but is there like, you're talking about raising a fund then, uh, or starting a fund, then it would be more or less like people are giving you money, but they're expecting... Yeah, like you give me a million dollars and you'll get X return, um, mm-hmm. and it's just a, a just a, a standard debt fund, right? Um, yeah, much. so it'll be structured as preferred equity. It looks like debt. You get a preferred coupon. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be hard money returns. Um, and it'll still be hard money returns. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna be really good returns for the really? investor with super low risk with all this collateral. We're gonna have. Um, right. Plenty yeah, of collateral. Multiples, a lot of, of collateral. <laughs> multiples of collateral compared to yeah. the amount of money that we'll raise. So it's going to be super conservative uh, investment with with a, a ton of land backing it, and a ton of receivables and cash flow backing it. So um, it'll be a lot lower loan to value than your traditional real estate. Call it at 80 percent on like an apartment building. Mm-hmm. It's going to be way lower than that, and it's going to be higher returns for the investor. So 
we feel that the uh, risk return is going to be um, pretty outstanding for whoever accredited investors are interested in, in uh, potentially partnering with us. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you've been paying attention to what like uh, Paul and I have been doing, uh, Paul Sparks and I. I was but, like, what have we been doing? <laughs> Paul Sparks and I. <laughs> but we're actively looking to tokenize real estate. So there might be some other. Tokenize? Yeah. Like, there might be some other. Um, there's Because there's a bunch of like, you know, Bitcoin millionaires that don't know what to do with their money. Hit us and, up. And they want to get into real estate. And so we're like, the joke I made, right, is like, you know, like athletes want to be rappers and rappers want to be athletes. You know? Yeah. So like crypto wants to get in real estate. You know what's funny? Like I was talking to a guy last week and um, he's kind of helping us with some stuff. And he was like, oh, I know all these like Bitcoin guys that want to get into real estate. And like, he's like, would you guys ever accept like crypto for your fund? And I was like, I have no idea. I never even heard of that for fund and then mm -hmm. like now you're bringing it up like five days later so it's well really i mean we're actively doing it like the goal is to have it like done by october so either the beginning or end of october so something we're actively working on um how do you guys measure success um it's a great question i measure success by happiness yeah. not by money like my happy is, do you do you measure it? Do you ask? Well, yourself? are you talking about in the business or in my life? You, your life. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, like money doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I'm not like a flashy guy. I don't care about fancy things. I just want to, like, be able to travel and be happy. Yeah. He says he's not flashy, but he has a Tesla and his license plate is buy lots. I don't think that's flashy. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't think it's fancy. Because if I, I drove a Lambo, I think that would be flashy. I, I call it flashy. He he defends himself. But. I drive a Tesla too. It's a, it's a reasonable car. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the license vehicle. plate. It's a family vehicle. The license plate is what's funny. Um, I don't know. I think I define success by how much fun we have every day. I think mm -hmm. one thing that we, our company is great at is like we have a great culture. I think that's what We have fun. Us. If you don't like having fun, I don't want you to work yeah. at discount lots. <laughs> yeah, I think our culture stands out. Um, we've got a great team, great people, and I think we consider them partners in our business and like love working with all of them and I think that's something that I went I went um and going with that I went in July um I went to Europe for like three weeks and I went we we have like a probably like five five people now in Macedonia most people have never even heard of that country mm -hmm. um have you yes okay so it's I was a nerd though in high school yeah <laughs> well I didn't really know about it till we hired our first team members in Macedonia and um um they kept telling me how awesome it was and I was like all right I'm gonna come out and visit you guys. <laughs> so um, I went to Europe for a few weeks in July and we went to Macedonia for five days and the team took, me, took us around the whole country. It was like such an amazing experience. It was so much fun. And like, we, we jumped off of a cliff with them. We went like paragliding, like it took the team paragliding. We jumped off this cliff, cliff in Macedonia and it was just like super fun. So I would say our team's a little, like a little different. Like, I'll get on a plane. Like, next trip's going to be the Philippines, but I'll get out there and just go visit you, whatever country mm -hmm. you're in, just for fun. That's awesome. You had me out until jumping off a cliff, but everything else <laughs> sounded awesome. Um, and then, uh, I guess, what, what are you guys' superpower? Superpower, that's a good question. Um, I think finance is mine. Uh, being the finance, like, brain, and just that's my background, and I think that's... Um, yeah, the financial engineering is what I brought, like the key component that I brought to the business. And um, was that from your yeah, econ degree or from your investment banking background? I think both, and then just how my brain's wired. Um, 
like super logical, super um, yeah, financial, and like bringing that, and then also, I mean, we're both very entrepreneurial, um, yeah. so like the entrepreneurial spirit combined with like my my specialty, which is finance and like structuring and uh, thinking about our business from that lens um, mm-hmm. rather than like a real estate lens, um, even though it's very much real estate business. Paul loves the deal. I love the finance. I love the scale on that side and the systems. Um, so I think that's my superpower. Yeah. And uh, we had Steve Valentine on the show uh, recently. And what we talked about was the one skill most real estate uh, investors or realtors miss out on is the money side. And that is the key to creating the wealth, right? If you, if you understand the money side, everything else is pretty easy. Right. Right. But that's the, that's the uh, one skill that most people miss out on. And yeah. That's everyone your can do one or two deals. And then in, in real estate, it's hard to scale unless you figure out that third piece, which is the money right. pour it on. Cause the unit economics in real estate are great. But if you don't know how to raise the money to scale the unit economics, then yeah. it's going to be hard for you. Yep. How about you? Um, I would say my superpower is putting the right, basically, well, one is seeing the, seeing the opportunities. Like I can see into the future. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, I'm really good at seeing the bigger picture and then like putting the right people together. Like I'll say like, like you have this problem and then you put like Joe and Bob together. Like I'm really good at putting those people together, um, to solve problems. Yeah, so seeing the future and solving problems. Yeah, I'm like, I should run for president probably. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say it. Um, <laughs> is there a book you've gifted more than any, more than any other? A book? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, like, I, everyone's always heard the classics. Like, I even see you sitting, I'll see them sitting over there. Um, yeah. But, you know, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like the classic one's great. Um, everyone's heard of those. I'm gonna throw one at you that I don't know if you've heard of, but I've actually recommended it recently. I've read it twice and I think it's awesome and I think it really kind of encapsulates who I am as a person. Um, have you heard of a book called The Third Door? Uh, I think someone mentioned it before, but I haven't really got into okay, it. Okay, so there's, it came out maybe a year or two ago. It's called The Third Door by Alex Benayan, I think is how you say his name. And the entire principle of the book is like, you're going to, let's say you need to accomplish something. There's usually like, or you need to get into a club, right? You either can go in through the front door or the back door. Mm-hmm. And but and that's how most people think. Like you want to accomplish something, there's like two ways to do it, like A and B. And the reality is, is there's always a third door. So like go through the window, go on the top of the roof and whatever. So this entire book is about like, he wanted to interview the most successful people in the world. And he like started out the book with a mission to get an interview with Bill Gates. This guy doesn't have any... Um, connections to anyone and it, like he tells a story of how he eventually got an interview with Bill Gates in person interview with Steven Spielberg and he asked them all the same question which is how did you get your start and they all got their start by utilizing this theory of the third door of kind of bending the rules a little bit or going you know everyone was going left they went right to get to where they needed to go and so that book and just kind of how I run my life and, and everything around me very much so is like Felt very connected to that book, and and I think I'd recommend it to anyone because it kind of teaches you like the most successful people, they didn't take a straight path, they didn't, um, you know, do the obvious thing, they did the not obvious thing to get to where they needed to go. Yeah, I love that, and um, I know like when I was getting back into foreclosures, you know, listing properties for banks, like I tried that front door over and over and over again, and it was always like, thank you for your application, right, and that was it. Yep. 
And so uh, it wasn't until um, I started going out and hanging out where the bankers hung out and then buying them bottle service and getting them drunk. And then that's, I don't know if it's the back door or what, but I find out where the bankers are, bankers were, get them drunk, buy them bottle service, and magically start getting the listings. Deal. What yeah. year was this? Uh, this was uh, 2009 or 2000, 2009. That's yeah. awesome. I didn't know that that's, that's, that's how you did it. Well, the front door was absolutely shut, so it was not not shut. It was like welded shut. Right? There's no <laughs> one getting through the front door. So, uh, what about you? What book have you given? Um, so, I, a few that come to mind, but um, one that really stood out recently was the Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. That's um, a good one. It's just a man. It's a great management book. I like reading books by those that have done big things, like the top of the top, um, and just learning from them. And it's a lot about how to train, manage, and um, operate a big business, and like the the tough like the tough dealings of the day to day of growing a big business. And so that really resonated with me. Um, for real estate, um, and if, for those who are trying to build um, sales organizations, the uh, sales acceleration formula is a really mm -hmm. good book. Um, so that's another one that I'd recommend for yeah. those that are. And if you're trying to build a sales team, you should check out Steve's sales training program. We send our people there. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank right. you. Thank you very much. Um, and I really uh, uh, like that you said that, you know, the hard thing about hard things as well, because uh, my two leaders, they're in charge of running everything. Are talking about reading it right now, so like they're yeah, both it's reading good, it's it. A it's, good, like, it's a good one. We I think we've both read it twice. All right, so now I for sure have to read it because it's yeah. on my list. But yeah, now I, I, yeah, I can't remember how big their sales team was like four hundred or so people at, in, um, at his first company. So like if, if you can grow a business to that scale, you have a lot of uh, a lot of clout. So I thought that was really good. Yeah, awesome. Appreciate it. Um, I want you guys to think about something you want to lead the listeners with before I make a couple of quick announcements. Uh, guys, if you have value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment. You know, we do want to feed the algorithm so we can help and reach more people. And then we do have uh, part in disruption on Thursdays and certainty talks on Fridays. And uh, I think that they're both great shows. I mean, obviously I'm biased, but the the feedback we're getting from it has been overwhelmingly overwhelmingly positive. So be sure to check out uh, part in disruption and certainty talks. So. Uh, we'll start with you, Willie. Last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Um, those that are looking to, I guess, get involved in real estate always, or just be an entrepreneur in general, I think kind of just looking to do something a little bit different than anyone else and uh, doing that thing that's in the blue ocean rather than the red ocean. And, and um, if you're if you're doing something and you're feeling a lot of competition, it uh, it's it's going to be there's going to be a lot of resistance and. Um, so I always like to think different and, um, it's going to be a lonely path as you're, as you're doing something different, but that's how, you know, you're sort of on the right path. So I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs that listen and, yeah. uh, that's something that like, as you're getting going, if you're, if you're doing what everyone else is doing and, uh, it's probably not the right path. Yeah. I like it. How about you? Um, I think like, like if you're an entrepreneur and, um, the, the advice that I would give is is just like try things and don't like the thing that bothers me the most that when people like talk about doing things is like don't make the plan like make a loose plan mm -hmm. just go for it and like build the plane while you're flying that's yeah. that's how we got to where we are is we didn't have this crazy robust plan of like a b c d e f g and we got to execute on all these plans mm -hmm. we just like we just went with it and yeah. 
just make good decisions. Um, so the reality is, is like, you don't have to be like the super smart person to be successful. All you need to do is just execute on stuff and, and just go and, and not have to be this super wound up, like, like planner. Yeah. Well, I, I heard something recently uh, from a mentor of mine, which was more complete the plan, the less likely the plan will happen. Right. Yeah. Because there's so much freaking uncertainty, all these things that come up in running our business that there's no way you could have planned for these things about an industry you know nothing about. Um, if someone wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Um, you can email me. Um, I don't, we don't really have like a public Instagram, but um, you can email, email Willie. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if, if those that are listening to this inspired or want to just talk, um, or if you're an accredited investor and interested in investing in our fund, um, we just started a new accredited investor fund called Sunny Capital Group, uh, S-O-N-N-Y. With an uh, O. Paul's grandfather, named after his grandfather. And, and also Florida, Sunny. A, a play there on words because we're both out in Florida. So you could email me at Willie, W-I-L-L-I-E at SunnyCapitalGroup.com, Sunny with an O. Awesome. My email is Paul at DiscountLots.com. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you guys for watching. See you all next week. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.